Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, public policies have a tremendous influence on the energy we use, as well as the condition of our environment. Now, state and federal legislators make these policies with input from private citizens and businesses. The solar industry, quite frankly, has thrived with policies in favor of clean, renewable energy. And it's no accident that California is a leader in solar and in clean, renewable energy. Now, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, or SVLG, helps advocate for favorable business and citizen policies in Silicon Valley. And they've made a tremendous impact, not only in California, but also in Washington, D.C. My guest this week is Tim McRae, Vice President of Energy at the Leadership Group. Tim's an energy expert and an environmental lawyer. He helps leadership group members and partners define and carry out energy-related policy programs and events. Issues that Tim covers are things like energy supply, grid modernization and reliability, and demand-side solutions. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Great. Great. All right. Now, SVLG, or the leadership group, covers a lot of issues important to Silicon Valley. What are some of the leadership group's big picture energy and environmental goals? So you've covered in broad form the energy priorities that we do, and we set new priorities at for our rolling three-year business plan each year. And in the energy side, we identified four priorities for this year. Promotion of clean energy is number one. And you may say, well, what does that mean? So we actually took uh, through our process, you know, what should our definition of clean energy be that we promote? Uh, it includes promotion of renewable energy, both utility scale and distributed solutions, which is like rooftop solar, storage, demand response, energy efficiency, and no and low carbon solutions such as fuel cells. So that's promotion of clean energy. We also are working to try to modernize and make reliable our grid, and that includes promotion and facilitation of an integration of technologies that support a safe smarter, more reliable gas and electric grid. It includes demand-side solutions, and that can be things like energy efficiency and demand response, which reduce demand. It can also be aligning demand with supply. We have a lot of supply, particularly of renewable energy, in the late afternoon, in the spring and summer, and we want to make sure that we have people demanding energy at those times. And then there's a joint issue that we're taking with both our energy and environment groups, and that's promotion of electric vehicles. We want to support the deployment of light-duty, medium-duty, and heavy-duty electric vehicles and charging infrastructure. And that's an issue that's important to both our environment committee members and our energy committee members. And I'll just share with you some of the things that our environment committee is looking at as well, in addition to those electric vehicles. They're looking to support wetlands restoration and flood mitigation efforts in the San Francisco Bay. They're looking to support thoughtful climate change mitigation policy at the state and federal level, and that goes hand-in-hand with promoting clean energy. And they want to ensure that Silicon Valley has the water it needs to thrive, and that includes things like supporting the California proposal, uh, the governor's proposal for water fix and promotion of water infrastructure modernization. All right, that's a big agenda, and and I tell you, SVLG has been terrifically successful at this agenda. I've been involved for, heck, almost 15 years or so, and I've always been very impressed at both how the leadership group's been successful with its initiatives but also kind of as a tech guy, you know, kind of the first time really getting involved in public policy, just seeing how you, you kind of 
hit the balance between requirements and regulations that kind of come from the top down, and then the market incentives that are developed that help individuals and businesses kind of do the right thing. So, kind of explain a little bit about how that works. So, to achieve the climate change goals that the state of California has set, the state has set a mixture of requirements and incentives. And you can sort of think of it as belt and suspenders. And the, the goals that they have set include doubling energy efficiency in California buildings by 2030, setting a goal of 50% renewable power powering our grid by 2030, having more clean renewable fuels to fuel our transportation. And that is something they call the low carbon fuel standard. It's trying to reduce by 18% of carbon coming out of the gas that is in your car. Cleaner zero or near zero emission cars, trucks, and buses. And they're both requirements for how many zero emission vehicles there should be on the road. The governor has set a goal of 1.5 million zero emission vehicles on the road by 2025, and then 5 million by 2030. So some fairly ambitious goals there. And then the Air Resources Board is also considering what to do about zero emission buses. Promoting walkable and bikeable communities with transit so that people live near where they work and they can take transit to get there so that not everybody's sitting in a single passenger vehicle to get from point A to point B or to go back to do their commute. Promotion of cleaner freights and goods movement. And those are fairly incentives about making our ports and our places where we have lots of trucks less polluting. Slashing super pollutants from dairies and landfills and refrigerants. And then, as well, something they call cap and trade. And we can get into cap and trade a little bit more in depth, but it's basically a market mechanism by which people can reduce their emissions or either pay for the right to, to find someone else to reduce their emissions. So let's talk about cap and trade. There was the kind of landmark cap and trade bill, AB32. We talk a lot about acronyms. and But that's just basically what the, the initial cap and trade bill. To describe it at a high level, what this bill was and what its goals were, when it passed, and how we're doing so far, plus the updates to the bill that Governor Brown put in place. Sure. So, in 2006, California passed a bill with Governor Schwarzenegger's signature that set a greenhouse gas target for the state of California, saying that we need to get back to 1990 levels of greenhouse gas emissions in the state by 2020, and saying the state may use market mechanisms to achieve that goal. And that market mechanism that the state chose to use and that has they have used since 2006 is called cap and trade. Cap and trade is a regulatory approach by which the government can achieve pollution reductions at least cost to businesses. So it's something that the Silicon Valley Leadership Group strongly supports. The cap for 2020 is 334 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. And then they allocate that that 334 million metric tons to businesses, either by free or by for free or by auction, and the businesses then have a choice for what to do to to only emit as much as they've been given by by right. They can either comply and say, okay, we will only emit X amount, or they can sell. They might say, we're not going to be admitting that much uh, carbon dioxide, so we can sell a few of our extra permits, or they can buy on the on the market. And so that's the trade aspect of cap and trade. You can either sell or buy essentially pollution permits. Now, this has been used in various different types of ways to reduce pollution over the years. It was first used the phase out of lead and gasoline in the early to mid-1980s. It was used for sulfur dioxide reduction 
pollution from power plants in the mid 19. That was the acid rain thing. That was the acid. It worked. Yeah, and it, yeah, we have much, much, much less acid rain, particularly in the Northeast and the Midwest and the United States, because of that. Air pollution in Southern California started using it in 1993, and then there's been greenhouse gas emission trading in the European Union, the Northeast U.S., and now California and a couple of Canadian provinces. So how did it work? Let's just talk about a few industry segments that I, you know, kind of related to. One is how is cap and trade affected or benefited utilities, and then what about you know companies that are just doing manufacturing, cement plants, or things like that. And then the third category is the fossil fuel companies and refineries and, and gas stations because they're the ones that are buying gasoline and that's burning. So how has it affected those different segments? So utilities have a particular way that they're. It gets a little wonky. Utilities have a way that they can get permits from the state government and then have to turn over those permits to be able to reduce their emissions. And and there are basically special rules for utilities. There are some sectors which are impacted by being able to compete with other states. And so, folks like cement mixtures and concrete have actually applied to say that they are, if you were not to allow them to get their permits for free, then they would actually have their industry move to other states. So, by right, they've been able to get some free permits. So, the Air Resources Board has done a very good job of figuring out which sectors it makes most sense to act, to give so them to help permit, them. Yeah. yeah, to help them. And then, quite frankly, transportation fuels, such as gasoline, it gets added to the oil companies pass that cost along. So our gas costs, I think I looked at calculations based on how much carbon dioxide was being produced. You know, the gas might have gone up by like 10 cents a gallon or something. Nothing really, really big. Okay. So how is California extending cap and trade? Give us a quick update on what Governor Brown is doing. Yeah. So that goal in 2006 was set through 2020 and we're on track to achieve the 1990 goal by 2020. We're going to be able to reduce greenhouse gas emissions back to 1990 levels by 2020. And then last year in the state legislature, there was a proposal to align cap and trade with a bill that passed in 2016. So in 2016, we set a new goal of reducing greenhouse gases by 40% by 2030. And then there was a bill in last year's legislature that extended the ability of the government to use cap and trade to achieve that target by 2030 and use cap and trade as the mechanism to reduce by 40%. And quite frankly, that's going to be a little bit tougher to achieve. And cap and trade is going to have to step up to be able to continue to reduce greenhouse gases over over time. Yeah, but I think we'll do it because we're making lots of progress on the technical side. All right, I'm here with Tim McRae, and we're just talking about all these great things that the leadership group is doing for energy energy and the environment in Silicon Valley. So, Tim, what are we doing for energy efficiency? So, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group supported a bill in 19, uh, 2015, uh, SB 350 by State Senator DeLeon, which set a goal of doubling energy efficiency in state buildings by 2030. And I mean buildings in the state, not just buildings owned by the state. The California Public Utility Commission oversees investor-owned utilities, such as PG&E, implementing a vast array of energy efficiency projects. And decades ago, California delinked energy profits from sales. And so, the subsequent to that is that the California Public Utilities Commission put first on its loading order that energy efficiency should be the top priority for 
our state in terms of dealing with energy policy. And so the California, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group has been supportive of all of those efforts. So interesting about the loading order and energy efficiency. I mean, I've been doing energy efficiency since the 70s, and I love it. I wrote a lot of software for it, even on freaking punch cards. But I've been observing with photovoltaic systems and solar backs, you know, since about 2000, the costs keep coming down and down and down. And I did an analysis about six or seven years ago, looking at energy efficiency measures and energy generation measures. And what was fascinating to me is that for almost all new housing stock and average housing stock, not really old housing stock, but it's cheaper to generate your own power on the roof you get a better payback than if you kind of do a lot of these energy efficiency measures. Now, that applies for, for homes in, in pretty much everywhere in California and everywhere in the South. It doesn't really apply in the North, but it, it's fascinating. Now, you talk about commercial buildings a little bit different because you don't have an, a lot of room for solar, but it's just you can generate so much power with, with the panels on the roof, and they're, they're so cheap that these you know really in-depth energy efficiency measures don't have nearly the same payback. You're looking at a six- or seven-year payback for solar and 10 or 15 or 20 for energy efficiency. Well, quite frankly, we'll need both. As you said, there are places that it makes more sense to do energy efficiency. There's places more it makes more sense to do it on the roof. And different strokes for different folks. Yeah, yeah, that works. All right, so what about um, this thing called the Renewable Portfolio Standard, or, or RPS? So the Renewable Portfolio Standard is a requirement that a percentage of electricity retail sales be from re- re- renewable energy resources. That includes things like solar, wind, geothermal, small hydroelectric, biomass, municipal solid waste cap. And it started, uh, interestingly enough, with a Silicon Valley legislator, Joe Simidian, uh, who was in the Senate at the time, uh, saying that we should get to 20% of our renewal of our of the requirements of our grid being run by renewables. And it set some goals for getting to 20%. And then that was in they started that that goal setting exercise in 2002. Then they increased it up to 33%. And now it's currently at 50%. The goal being 50% of our grid being powered by renewables by 2030. It's got some interim steps to get from 20 to uh, from 20 up to 50 percent. And this past year, in 2017, we were at about 30 percent renewables powering our grid in the state of California. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And, and once again, it's a testament to the fast reduction in the, the cost for PV systems and wind. And then what's really fascinating is we're decommissioning nuclear plants, and and even instead of putting in natural gas peaker plants, they're starting to say, hey, if you're going to do this in in a few years, I mean the systems aren't going right away. It's better to look at uh, storage coupled with solar instead of a natural gas peaker plant. Amazing to me that that's projected to be a lot cheaper. That's right. And it, it is sort of a, a game changer, and it's great to see. Yeah. And what's also interesting is, as far as our residential and commercial customers, almost every customer is interested in storage for their, their home or their business. And when they're coming down to sign contracts, we're you know, probably close to 50% of the people are putting in a battery. Oh, wow, that's great. And it, it just kind of totally surprised me. And the reason for it is not as much saving money, you know, in terms of arbitraging the high, high cost of power in the afternoon versus cheap during the day, but it's mostly to provide more reliable power. And, and so you get the double benefit. You get the emotional benefit of, hey, I've got power. If there's a blackout, I can run my hotel elevators if there's a blackout. But at the same time, you get to arbitrage the energy and save a little bit of money along the way. All right, let's talk a little bit about some other more specific solar policies like PACE and the solar tax credits. Sure. So PACE stands for Property Assessment for Clean Energy. And the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, like we supported the Renewable Portfolio Standard, uh, also supported the development of Property Assessment for Clean Energy Districts in California. Uh, 
The idea started about a decade ago in Berkeley, California, uh, and it was then f approved to happen through state law. So what you can do with a property assessment for clean energy assessment is it allows you to do financing by the retrofit of your home or business with no money down and an assessment that benefits energy efficiency or water efficiency or renewable energy or electric vehicle charging stations on your property. So it becomes a lien on your property, just like you have a mortgage on your property. Uh, you can say, okay, I will do some water efficiency improvements and uh, and get that lien. Now, the thing about the PACE lien, which is different, is that it, that that lien supersedes any mortgage lien. It's the first priority on your property uh, bill. So, or, before your mortgage. And in August of 2010, it might not surprise you that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac weren't thrilled with that. They want the mortgage liens to be first. And so, they said that they wouldn't purchase mortgages with homes with PACE liens. So, in 2013, the solution to that was California restarting their residential programs with the understanding that the homeowners would have to pay back their PACE liens in full before refinancing or selling their homes. And so since then the pace mortgage mar or the the pace uh, market has picked back up and uh, and California is uh, doing quite a bit of pace financing these days. Uh, they're the fastest growing type of financing in the United States. There've been over 100,000 energy efficient energy efficient energy efficiency retrofits since 2000. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Now what about things, you know, just a comment on the solar tax credits and net metering, which are like, you know, when you look at customer benefits, those are the two most substantial in incentives that uh, business or homeowner gets. Right. So the federal government extended the solar tax credits through 2021, and that was something that the Silicon Valley Leadership Group supported. Silicon Valley Leadership Group has also supported something called net metering, and this is what the state does to allow customers to put solar on their rooftops and sell the excess energy back to the grid. Uh, initially, the program only allowed up to 5% of investor-owned utility service territory to engage in this practice, but in 2016, the California Public Utilities Commission, with our support, lifted the 5% cap in exchange for net energy metering companies, uh, customers paying a small non-bypassable charge to subsidize the use of the grid and for putting new customers on time of use rates. So basically that meant that electricity not as highly valued during the day uh, when rooftop solar was generating electricity and paying back uh, and, and, and those customers paying a little bit more at night. And But it still makes that the economics of the uh, putting solar on your rooftop makes sense and people are still being able to make money and you would know that best with yeah. customers that use it. So what that means for customers who have solar now or looking at putting in solar, there's this thing called a non-bypassable charge, which is like two or three cents a kilowatt hour, and that's subtracted out from what the utility credits you. So if your your bill is at 40 cents a kilowatt hour, you'll get a credit when you're running the meter backwards at 37 cents. So not that big a deal. And the second thing is by moving the time of use rates, the peak into the afternoon, I mean, heck, it's, it's 4 to 9 p.m. on many of the residential rates right now. There's not a lot of sun then, you know, in the winter, there's zero sun. So really hurt net metering, except there's this thing called technology that's that's just an unstoppable force, and now people are putting in batteries. So instead of running the meter backwards during the day at 20 cents a kilowatt hour, they're putting that energy into their battery, and then they're using that battery energy in the afternoon and the evening when they would ordinarily be charged 45 cents a kilowatt hour. So, you know, quick tip for, for people out in Silicon Valley and in PG&E territory, the EV rate is really, really good for solar. So, I mean, we even tell our customers, hey, buy an EV or, or get a used EV because you're going to go on an electric rate that's going to pay for the car. All right. Kind of digress a little bit. Tim, how did you get involved with energy and the environment at the beginning? What, what got you into this crazy world? I was on the debate team in high school and in college. <laughs> and in debate, we debated the topic of 
policy, what policy should be for the United States for the whole year. And my freshman year in college, it was fossil fuel policy, what we should do about energy uh, and reducing fossil fuels for the entire year. And this was back in 1989, 90. You can figure out how old I am from that. And um, and we were talking about things like global warming. We were talking about things like air pollution. We were talking about things like reducing our reliance on the Middle East. And lo and behold, many years later, we're still talking about all of those things. Um, that led to me working for a couple of environmental nonprofits in DC and in Sacramento. Working at those nonprofits made me realize, hey, it would be great to have a law degree to be able to be effective, uh, even even more effective advocate on these things. And then since law school, I've basically worked for clean energy businesses, leading up to working for this business public policy trade association, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. Yeah, yeah. Now the SVLG, the leadership group's amazing. You know, Carl Gordino's their their CEO. He's a force of nature. And so my question is, how can you keep up with Carl? I mean, he, he doesn't sleep at all. He gets so 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 much done. Uh, he does get a lot of done. He is a force of nature, and we we do try to strongly encourage him to sleep. <laughs> I hope it I hope it's working. All right. How can people get in touch with you and at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group? I can be reached at my email address tmcrae at svlg.org. I'm happy to hear from anyone who has any questions, and I'm happy to uh, to engage with the public in any way that they are interested. All right, terrific. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show, and thanks to our guest Tim McRae with the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 